Uh, well, um, yesterday, um, just to give everyone the update, we moved our fourth and final child, moved her into college, and uh, Bethany, our daughter, is officially launched, and uh, Diane and I, I think we are um, kind of slowly absorbing this new reality. It's a bit surreal, and so if you see me kind of looking, if I'm walking and I kind of look like I'm in, you know, just second space or something like that. It's just uh, trying to absorb this, this new reality. It's great. We're, we're very excited for her. It's been this way with all four of our kids, right? Uh, they, they go on to this next stage of life. They grow up, which of course is the goal. Um, but at the same time, there's this loss. And uh, particularly when it's your final child and when your final child is a girl, um, that makes it a little special challenge. Um, so this is one of those times where I'm extremely grateful for technology um, and the, the power of communication, right? Like texting, um, FaceTime. And I love that the iPhone now has the ability to track location even. <laughs> so, so I can stalk my daughter and see where she is moment by moment. I know, you guys, you need to pray for me, right? This is, I'm going to be good, but it's a challenging time. But I'm very grateful for the multiple ways that we have to connect and communicate with, with all of our children. Uh, and this morning, I, I want to turn to the Psalms and, and look at some of the ways that our Heavenly Father connects and communicates with, with His children. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Psalm chapter 19, um, this is a psalm that celebrates uh, three different ways um, that God connects and communicates with us, three different places where we experience and encounter him. Uh, first is the skies um, that point us to God, and the, and the scriptures uh, show us what he's like, and then even at the level of our own soul that we find God at work in that place. And so if you have a Bible, um, we're going to start in Psalm 19 in the first six verses. It says this, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There's no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In the heavens, he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden uh, from its heat." So um, start with a story about uh, where we place our bed in our bedroom. Over the years, we've had our bed in two different locations. Um, sometimes we have it up against the, the outside exterior wall, and with the headboard on that end, where I'm laying down on my pillow, it points to the inside wall. And, and that inside wall is actually a wall that's made up all of granite stone, um, all kinds of different shapes and sizes of rock on that. And, and because typically I'm in bed about five or 10 minutes before Diane is. Um, I don't know if it's like this in your home, but she's got all these things that she has to do, these processes, she calls them, before she gets into bed, you know, take out the contacts and take off the makeup and brush the hair. And, you know, the list just goes on and on and on. And 
in me, it's just like brush my teeth, hit the pillow, done, right? And so I've got these few fleeting minutes, and uh, there's times when I just kind of gaze at that stone rock wall, and, and my imagination starts running a little bit wild at times, and, and I start seeing things in the rock formations. So it's sort of similar to like when you look up in the sky, right, and you see the clouds, and you see things in the skies. And so I'm there in bed looking at this rock wall, and I've, I found a turtle. Um, I found a lion. I found a, two horses and even a dinosaur. And it's, it's kind of fun. Um, but then when Diane finally makes it to bed, I'm like, look at what I found. And I'm like pointing it out and she like looks at me like I'm kind of crazy, which I can tell is sort of the way some of you are looking at me now as well. And, and I understand that. Um, but most of the time, actually, we, we flip the bed in the other direction. It's the headboard is up against that stone wall. And when I lay down, my line of sight goes directly through these windows that we have at the top of the cathedral ceiling and I can actually see the stars from my bed. It's a view that I love. It never gets old. Let me ask you, um, have you had the chance this summer uh, to go out in the backyard, sit down on a clear night and just gaze at the sky? When's the last time you did that? If you haven't done it, there's still time. It's going to be cloudy for the next two days. I checked the forecast, but I highly recommend doing this at some point. Um, it's just uh, got this like enlarging kind of effect on our lives. And this psalm invites us not only to look at the sky, but to listen to it as well. It says, if we tune in and we pay attention we can hear that the heavens are declaring a message. They're declaring the grandeur and the glory of God Almighty. So it says, the skies are broadcasting this nonstop message, day in, day out, 24-7, around the clock. I don't know if you'd have anyone in your life who is a talker who likes to talk, likes people. Some people, they just wake up in the morning and they've got lots of words that need to get out. And they just start coming out all day long and they don't stop coming out until they hit the bed. Um, we call them, you know, extreme extroverts. And uh, if that describes you or someone else that you know, you're not alone. The skies are speaking, it says, nonstop. And, and, and what this sky is saying makes the point is that it's intelligible to everyone. There is no confusion about this message. It comes through loud and clear to all of humanity. There's no speech, it says, or language where their voice is not heard. And that's very different um, from the words that sometimes come out of my mouth. Like sometimes what I want to say, it's clear in my head, but once it hits my mouth, it just comes out all kind of twisted and confusing. Um, it makes perfect sense to me, but it confuses everyone else. And, and, and uh, you know, other times when it comes to barriers to communication, we don't get the message because there's this language difference, right? The, the language that I know is different from the one someone else is saying. And and that means we're stuck. There's this communication barrier, and everything's come a lot more challenging. But this 
is different. This message from the skies, this message from heaven is broadcast worldwide, globally, and the voice goes out through all the earth, it says. In other words, there's not a square inch in all creation that this message isn't right now being proclaimed and perceived. There is never any language barrier to anyone who's willing to just look up and listen. And the message that creation is shouting is about the creator. Just like the painting that you see points to the painter, right? The beauty and the grandeur of the skies and the heavens are this masterpiece that points us back to the master artist. Don't miss it. That's the point. It's, it's on display in every sunset, every star-filled night. And, and the more we learn, in my mind, the more astounding it really is, right? Like this Hubble telescope and the pictures that are coming out and all of these new discoveries. Think about just for a second a few things like the size of the universe. Uh, we, we can barely fathom it. We can actually barely fathom the size of our own um, Milky Way solar system, right? So uh, it's been explained to me that if one inch represents 100,000 miles, uh, which means that every step, every one-yard step would take you 3,600,000 miles, do you know how many steps it would take you to map out the distance between the sun and the earth? The sun is 93 million miles away from the earth, so that would be 26 steps. Um, that's approximately the amount of time or the amount of steps it would take for me to walk from this platform over to the coffee counter, where I would go to enjoy a good cup of coffee, a little bit of cream, and a little bit of sugar. Um, the question is, how many more steps would you need to take before you arrived at Pluto. That's the farthest planet from the sun, so I've been told. Um, you have to walk another 993 steps. That's, that's over half a mile. Uh, it's approximately from here to the Carmel Bagel. Uh, Delhi, I like to use food as reference points, as you can notice, right? Because I would travel that far. I might travel to the end of the galaxy for a good breakfast sandwich. Um, but here's the thing, that Milky Way, right, it's just one of what's estimated to be millions of other galaxies in the universe. Creation is everywhere calling us to the creator. You know, the earth spins on its axis at a rate of a thousand miles an hour. Always confused me because I thought if the earth is spinning, why am I not spinning? and I'm not getting dizzy. I'm not sure I, someone's explained the answer to me, but I'm not smart enough to understand it. Um, but you know, if it were just 100, if we slow down to just 100 miles an hour, uh, our days and nights would be 10 times as long as they are. Vegetation would either freeze through the night or burn through the day, and there'd be no life at all. The sun burns at a surface temperature of 12,000 degrees Fahrenheit. And we are um, at 93 million miles away in the perfect position to take in its heat and absorb it. Because if we were any closer, the earth would burn up. 
And if we were any farther away, the Earth would be just a popsicle planet, like many of the other planets around. Um, if the slant of the Earth were not 23 degrees, the vapors from the oceans would ice over the continents. There'd be no life. And if the moon were not where it is in relation to the Earth, the oceanic tides would cover all of the land, and again, there'd be, there'd be no life. That's just a short list of what we could just go on and on and on, that just these observations of the beauty, the grandeur, the complexity of creation, and, and the design that is inerrant, all and everywhere calling us through creation back to the creator. And so the challenge is, don't miss it. Don't just chalk it up to random chance, right? Because here's the reality. Only a fool, only a fool would walk into the Metropolitan Museum of Art, gaze upon a Rembrandt masterpiece, and conclude, what a coincidence. What a crazy act of random chance that someone had a pile of paint bottles, they spilled over, and somehow it turned into this jaw-dropping masterpiece. The stars and the skies, they're meant to awaken wonder in our hearts. They're, they're meant to point us to the glory of God. And, and maybe, maybe just this weekend, it's just a time to you to just think about, hey, I've spent too much time just, I've just been looking at the, the light of a screen, right? And, and I'm overdue to spend some time just gazing at the stars, gaze at the beauty and the majesty and the vastness of the song of heaven that calls us to the creator. So that's the first part of the passage, and it, it shifts from, from encountering God, hearing from God through, through the sky, to hearing him through the scriptures. That's where we're going next. Both the sky and the scriptures tell us about God, but they do so in very different ways. From the sky, we know that, we know two things. Number one, that there is a God, and number two, that you're not him, all right? So if nothing else, look at the sky, look at creation, logical conclusions. There is a God, you're not him. But then we ask the question of the specifics. What kind of God is this? Who is he and what does he want from our lives? And to know that, he has to reveal himself to us, which he does uh, through his word. And this is what it says about that. As the passage goes on, he says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. So, so we know there is a God just from looking at the sky. Then we open up the scriptures, what we find out is that God is good. 
We find out that he is good. And and what we're seeing here is this progression. The psalm is getting more specific. It started out in the first part uh, where it talked about the glory of God from the shouting sky. It used the word for God is is the Hebrew word El. It's it's a very generic word. Um, It just means God. But now, as it moves on, he's talking about the law, not of God, but the law of the Lord, um, the law of, of Yahweh, or Adonai is how they would say it in, in Hebrew. This is not just some generic God who is somewhere out there off in the distance. This is a God who has revealed himself. He has given us his name. He has shown who he is to his people personally. He's someone we can know. Are you actually glad that God hasn't left us guessing about what he's like. Scripture is where we find the specifics. Talks about them as the laws of God. In in, in Hebrew, that word is Torah. um, and, And that is really implying more revelation than it is legislation. God says the Torah is a treasure because it shows to us the goodness of God. The maker of the heavens is a holy and just God. He's a loving God. He's gracious. He's sovereign. He's eternal. And he's intensely interested and engaged in what's going on in this planet and in our own lives. And so in this passage, David, the writer, is celebrating the ways of the Lord, that they're perfect. That means that they're whole or they're complete and they're, and they're sure they can be counted on. They're steadfast and faithful. And he testifies that God's ways are good. The path of the, that the Lord marks out for his people to live on, it's a good path. It's a good path. You know, sometimes we can open up this, this book And look at what it tells us to do. And and we can be just deceived into thinking, this is telling me to not do all the things that I want to do and to do all the things that I don't want to do, right? That's that's not what's in this book. If that's how you're reading it, you got to go back and try again. That is not it. Um, Sometimes we think that, okay, this is is what I've got to do to qualify for God's love and grace and acceptance. Uh, Follow the rules. And the truth is that the commands that God gives, they're not a condition of his love. It's actually the other way around. It's the consequence of his love. And so to put it in an imagery, do you remember uh, the Lord, when he first gave his people the Ten Commandments, he didn't give it to them until he rescued them out of Egypt, right? So he didn't say, before he rescued them out of Egypt, he didn't say, okay, guys, if you want me to rescue you, then here's the condition. Follow the rules. And if you follow them enough, then I'll save you. No, he freed them first. He saved them. He brought them to a safe place. And after that, he gave them his path, his his commands to show them this new way to live. And so the ways of the Lord, they, it is a path. There are boundary lines. There are things that he tells us to do. There's other things he says, avoid that. 
And it's important to understand why. It's not because he's trying to cramp your style. He's not trying to make your life miserable. He's not trying to empty out of the joy of your life. It's simply because he knows what's best. The God who created the universe, this world and your life, he understands the way it works. And so he gives us his commands, his laws out of love. And David, he declares here in the psalm, he says, your precepts are perfect. You know, there is nothing in this book that's revealed about the Lord that the Lord's embarrassed about, right? There there is nothing you will come across in this book that one day he is going to stand up and apologize to the universe about. It's not gonna happen. The commands of God, they reveal the character of God. They show us what our God is like. And so when he tells us in the 10 commandments, have no other gods before me, why? Is it because he's insecure and he needs us to honor him? No, it's because that's reality. There is one God and he's it. There is no one else but him. There is creator and there's creation. And we start mixing up those categories and worshiping creation instead of creator. That's what messes everything up. And so understand, God does not need you to worship him. He doesn't need you to put him first. We need to put him first. Because when we turn anything else into a God, and we put that in first place in our lives, we become less. He tells us, don't set up idols. The reason why? Because he is the great I am. And so we can try, we try to do this unsuccessfully. Let me turn God into the God that I want him to be. Let me make him just a little less prickly around the edges and malleable and say things that conform to the preferences of my culture or my life. Don't do that, he says. You gotta gotta see me for who I am instead of trying to reshape me into your own image because I don't change. This world changes, people change, God does not change. Go on and on down the list of the Ten Commandments. Don't commit adultery. Why? Because God is faithful. He is faithful to us and When we are faithless with each other, things fall apart. Don't lie because he is the God who always tells the truth. And when we stop telling the truth, when we stop valuing truth, the foundations of everything meaningful and significant, they just start to crumble. I don't know, are we kind of seeing that in our society a little bit? You know, who do we believe? Who do we trust? Who's telling the truth? Who's putting the spin on this and that? It's a very confusing place to live right now. The commandments point to the character. And David has just poured himself into this book and he says, I don't despise the laws of God. I delight in them. He says, these laws, these truths, these commandments have brought life back into my soul. They've given me the wisdom I need to make right choices. They brought joy to my heart. They've given light to my eyes. He says, I've come to treasure God's word. 
it's solid and it's firm and it's right because it comes from the creator. And that's a beautiful testimony David shares. And this is true today as it ever has been. God's truths are still a treasure. Uh, The world changes. God doesn't. What he says still stands in his ways. Mark this. They're good. He is good and his ways are good. There's been times in my life that I can look back on And you know what? There are times when following the Lord is just hard. Um, It's not the easiest route. There's times when following the Lord is lonely, and it's a more difficult route than other alternatives. But here's been my testimony. Anytime I've arrived at that next chapter in life, no matter what that next chapter is, and then I just turn around and just look back, I've always said, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for showing me your ways. Your ways are best. And so let me challenge you with this question. What part of doing life's God way, if you're wrestling with this, what part about it are you concerned that one day you are going to look back on and regret? I wish I had done this some other way, my way instead of God's way. When, when was the last time you made the choice to do it God's way? You say, I really wish I didn't do that. I don't know, the regrets that I have in my life are those times when I just doubted God's goodness. And I said, I know better than you. I can't trust you. I'm going to do it my way. At least in my life, that's, that's when the problems start. So, We see God communicating through the skies, through the scriptures, and it gets very personal as this psalm comes to a close uh, because it ends at the level of the soul. So let's let's read as David confesses this ongoing need he has for, for the God of the skies and the scriptures to keep working in his own life and in his own soul. He says this, who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I I really love the way this psalm ends. It's so honest. Um, You know, he's not talking about, all right, God, you are so great, you are so good. Here's what I'm going to do for you. And throwing out these commitments to God. It's the other way around. I'm, I'm so dependent on you, Lord. David realizes, I, I don't have it all figured out. He knows this much. He knows how prone to self-deception and rationalization he is. And so he asks this out loud. This question Who can discern his errors? The answer is pretty obvious. None of us. None of us sees ourselves objectively. None of us have that capacity to figure our own lives out. We we need some outside intervention. Isn't it true? There's, There's ways that my life is out of whack that don't even register on my radar screen. I'm blind to them. All of us here, we have blind spots. 
All of us have the capacity in this room on our own to completely crash and burn our own lives, right? Let's be honest. Left on our own, we can blow things up real quick. But here's the good news. The good news is that we are not left on our own. That the same God who made the heavens, the same one that speaks to us in scripture, he is active and available on the scene of our lives. David knew that. And that's why he ends this psalm with a prayer request. Lord, would you just protect me from myself? You know, life, isn't it best lived with just this this honest, sober recognition of just how much we need the Lord? Maybe just to save us from ourselves. It's so easy to deflect and, you know, watch the news and say, oh, those are the dangerous people. Those are the ones we got to watch out for. But sometimes it's just, look in the mirror. We need divine intervention. We need more than inspiration. We need intervention. We need more than just a little bit of chicken soup for the soul. We need something deeper. We need the deep, ongoing work of the Holy Spirit reaching down to the deepest part of our hearts and saving us from ourselves. I need him to work so thoroughly in my life that what David's prayer was would be made true of me, that the words that come out of my mouth, that the meditations of my heart, the thoughts that I dwell on, that they would be pleasing to him that the way that we live out our lives would cause our Heavenly Father to smile. And that's, that's the prayer request that the psalm ends with. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O oh God, my rock. And I love that it also says this, not just my rock, you're my redeemer. You're my redeemer. The same God that creation shouts about, the same God that scripture shows us about, that's the God who's at work on the landscape of our lives, doing that redeeming work. And when we talk about redemption, it's gonna lead us right back to the cross, right? That's the ultimate place where, where God answered this prayer request by sending his son Jesus to come into this world and living a perfect life, the perfect life that you and I and none of us could ever live. And then going to the cross to die a death in our place, the death that we deserved, paying the price for all of our sins, the ones we know about, the ones we don't know about, so that we could be redeemed, so we could be forgiven, so we could be made right again with our creator. So let's rejoice. Let's, let's celebrate this God who's heard in the heavens, who's seen in the scriptures, and who right now is at work in our lives.